Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. Be seated in the presence of the Lord. It is a joy. I've been so excited to be here. And my, 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 how many have already enjoyed the presence of the Lord in this place? Wow. Thank you, worship team and Ricardo Sanchez. Ow. Wow. I was talking to my son last night uh, on the phone, and uh, he was asking as often as the case. He's a student pastor in Victoria, Texas, and he was asking where I was going to be or where I was, and I told him and explained about this great church and your pastors and... and, uh, I said, and, and Ricardo Sanchez is leading worship in the morning. He said, man, that stinks. I said, why does that stink? He said, because you don't even know who Ricardo Sanchez is, and I ought to be there. I got all of his music. And I said, what are you talking about? I know who Ricardo, what am I, living in a cave? I know who Ricardo Sanchez is. How many were blessed by the ministry of Ricardo Sanchez? This morning? Awesome. Awesome. Moving forward. It's not over, my goodness. I, I love his music and enjoyed it so much. How many of you today believe you have the uh, absolute greatest pastors in the entire world right here? At this I know you do. I know you do. I, it's not often that I get to preach in the pulpit of a legend, but uh, that is today. And I mean that with all my heart. And uh, I know that this is a well-fed congregation and uh, It is such a high honor for me to have the opportunity to be here with you all today. And I always consider it a divine appointment to speak to the people of the Lord. And, uh, and so I take it very seriously. And I want you to uh, turn in your scriptures this morning. What a wonderful chance to be together on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. And so I want to try to talk a little bit about today, but I want to broaden the scope of our discussion today. So if you'll join me in Matthew in the 16th chapter, I'm going to leave you seated. And uh, in a moment, we'll read a final passage, and I'll ask you to stand. Okay, so just give me a moment because we have a, a few extra verses uh, than, than would normally, and hopefully it will make sense to you today. Matthew chapter number 16, beginning in verse number 21. From this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Perhaps no other verse in the scripture carries such an amazing assortment and array of power. Essentially the story of the gospels, that Jesus would suffer under the elders and chief and scribes and priests, be killed, And how many are glad that last phrase was added and be raised on the third day? Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is not a good practice. Uh, I I didn't know that you could rebuke the Lord, but Peter tried. Uh, And he says, far be it from you, Lord, for this shall not happen to you. And then he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Just eight or ten verses earlier, he was calling him a rock. Uh, He called him uh, Peter. Actually, he begins with Simon, son of Jonas, his just regular everyday 
blue collar name and then then he uses his name thou art Peter the name he would be known in apostolic authority and recorded for us in scripture through the balance of his life and ministry and just a few verses later calls him Satan that's encouraging to me it's encouraging to me get behind me Satan for you are an offense to me for notice what he says for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men one minute Peter you can be thinking about God and be a rock and an apostle the next minute when you change your thinking you can be used by the devil verse 24 then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it whoever decides I'm sorry to save his life will lose and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it then if you'll turn over just a couple of pages in Matthew to the 21st chapter, I want to read an additional passage in your hearing, familiar passage in the theme passage for today. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming to you lowly and setting on a donkey a colt, the foal of a donkey, the prophecy from Zechariah. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and colt and laid their clothes on them and sent, set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Baruch HaBashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When they called Jesus in the Hebrew tongue, it would have been Yeshua HaMashiach, Melech Ben David. Jesus, the King, Son of David. And when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I think it's very fitting that before his passion that God would allow him to take a victory lap. Uh, you know, on two occasions before, the throne of Jerusalem had been offered to Jesus and he'd summarily turned it down. But on this occasion, he went along with it because it had been prophesied. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but the, the Daniel, the prophet Daniel, literally prophesied to the very day this event. When the angel appeared to Daniel in Daniel's famous prophecy, he said from the, de uh, from the decree that's given to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and he gives a span of time. That decree was given by Artaxerxes Longimanus in March of four, roughly 445 B.C., if you run the numbers forward using the clock and the calendar, you may as well say that they used, you'll find that it was the spring of this particular year that Jesus presented him. That's why he stopped and wept over Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and those that are sent to you, if you had only known your day, 
if you had understood the journey, if you had understood the pilgrimage that was being unfolded before your eyes, you would not have missed your day of visitation. Now, if we could, let's turn over to the book of Acts, and we're going to read two selections from the book of Acts this morning, and uh, I know our time is slipping away, but I'd rather give time to the word than to my remarks. Acts chapter number 1, verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Jesus had told them that when all of the passion was past, there would come power. That there was a journey that they had to take. There was a pilgrimage they had to make. But it was leading to a purpose. In the life of a believer, passion is never wasted. It's always leading to a purpose. And that purpose is ultimately to bring you to a place of power. Power. If you read uh, the Gospel of John, uh, a full fifth of the Gospel is devoted to the night Jesus was betrayed. Uh, We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the synoptic gospels. That means they're generally written from a, a, a common perspective. But John writes his gospel from... A, 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 a bit of a different perspective, a Greek mindset, you might say. He's writing toward the end of the first century. And, uh, and he writes for us, not dealing with the uh, chronological order of Jesus' life, but major themes. And so in his gospel, he focuses on the night Jesus was betrayed. Perhaps you'd like to read it sometime if you've ever wondered the dialogue that was going on with Jesus and his disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed and eventually arrested, then you can begin along about chapter number 13 of the Gospel of John and the balance of the book happens in those intervening hours that ultimately led to the crucifixion of our Lord and his resurrection. Are you okay? Are you in the building this morning? Okay. So when Jesus says that you have heard me talk about the Holy Spirit, you'll find that the majority of the content of Jesus' dialogue with his disciples on the night he was betrayed was not about his suffering and was not even about the resurrection. It was about what was coming after. Because passion always has a purpose. And as we begin this Holy Week and focus on the passion of the Lord, today I want to endeavor to give you a big picture idea of the the week, but I really want to... Uh, remind you today that there was a purpose behind the passion of the Lord. It wasn't just gratuitous violence or suffering. It was about a, a, a plan that God had that had been conceived in the heart of God before time began, before the very foundation of the world. And so we'll get to that in a moment. I want to finish this passage. For the promise of the Father which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore when he had, they had come together he asked them saying Lord 
will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put under his own authority, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you will stand with me, I would like to read one last passage in your hearing. Chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, if you would, you can close your Bible now. uh, And I want you to just join hands with someone standing next to you as we prepare our hearts. All filters down, all lenses are open by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Lord, we thank you for the unction of the Holy Ghost that I feel in this room. And Lord, every time I feel it, I sense a sense of responsibility, Lord. And so now, God, we stand before your throne and we welcome your word. Lord, we will receive it with grateful hearts and open minds. Lord, it will be sown into good soil, God. We will declare that this is the day that the Lord hath made and we will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. We will celebrate your coming, Lord, and your departure and your second coming, Lord. We will celebrate your victory. Now, Lord, I pray that every heart and every head would be prepared for these moments that we share in Jesus' great name. Amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You may be seated. God bless you. I have three big ideas that I want to share with you today out of this passage. Now, it's interesting because if you go to the first passage we were talking about, it happened at a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's an interesting uh, journey there. It's, it's, it's funny because for the most, it's most likely the disciples had never been there before. What happens? I mean, interesting things happen in your life when God takes you someplace you've never been before. It's interesting what can happen. Caesarea Philippi was a Roman uh, resort town. It was a a pagan place. Uh, It was a place where you could get anything that you wanted. Uh, The Romans loved their pleasure with the Greek influence. The Jews hated that influence in Palestine of certainly the first century. And so they didn't go. They were under rabbinical command, as a matter of fact, not to go to this city. It's uh, a lot of things are going on. This is six months before Calvary when Jesus takes his disciples out of the comfort zones of Galilee and the familiar places where they had been reared and raised and led them to this place that they perhaps had never been before. And it's interesting because there were a variety of things that were going on there. One of the principal uh, demonic deities, idolatry, was rampant in this particular area. And uh, one of the, the, uh, the demons that the people considered a god was the god Pan. God Pan. It was the Greek god of carnal desire, desolate places, and fear. Uh, Incidentally, it's where we get our word panic. Just side note. And so Jesus took his disciples there, and there uh, at the base of Mount Hermon, which is the highest peak 
in the Middle East, our second highest peak in the Middle East, uh, with the snowy uh, melts, the headwaters of the Jordan River, and it flows down the Transjordan toward the Sea of Galilee, out of the Sea of Galilee, and ultimately to the Dead Sea. But there, there's a large cave that, uh, that the water comes out of. And, and there at that cave, there was a temple built to the, the god Pan. They, they believed he dwelt in darkness. And so uh, that was because there's that tendency to feel a little nervous when you're in the dark. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And they said that's the presence of Pan that you're feeling. And uh, it's interesting because Jesus takes his disciples, and this is not my message, so I've got to move quickly. He takes his disciples to this place and asks, uh, what are they saying about me in Jerusalem? What, what's, uh, what are the political pundits saying? Uh, who are men saying that I, the son of man, and you know the story. Peter, who often gets ahead of himself and puts his foot in his mouth, this time he swings for the fence and knocks it over the fence. Amen. 390 feet, softball. Thou art Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that thou art Peter, and he turns, no doubt, and points to the temple of Pan because it's set against the the cliffy uh, foothills of Mount Hermon, and it's built against a cliff, literally. And he looks at this place and no doubt points, and he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And incidentally, the Jews called the temple of Pan, a colloquialism, the gates of hell. And he says, I'll build my church right there. And the devil will not. Everything that you're afraid of, everything the world has to offer, everything that you'd like to have, all of your dreams, ambitions, and goals, everything that you want out of life and everything that you're afraid of against that backdrop, sometimes you've got to make up your mind who Jesus is to you, not just in the bad moments, but in the moments where everything is great. And when you make up your mind about who Jesus is to you, it begins a journey. You begin a pilgrimage. I would love to be able to explain to you that it's that moment of decision and the trip is over. But guess what? You're just getting started because God has a purpose for your life and he has a plan and it involves more than a decision. I I think it's important that you make a decision for Christ. I do. I do. I think it's important. That's the beginning point. But then there's a process. How many believe God has a destiny for you and a plan for you? Every one of you who know the Lord do, but wouldn't it be great if God told you everything he was going to do in your life right up front? Well, that would be cool, wouldn't it? But you know why? I don't believe he tells us that. I don't believe he tells us that because not only do you not know what God's going to do in your life, but the devil don't know what God's going to do in your life. And God knows that if he told you, you'd tell the devil. It'd be on the front page of your newsletter. You'd make a DVD or a, or a video or something, and, and there's some things God's going to take you through that you would not understand. There's some things that are going to happen after you decide to serve Jesus that are not going to fit into the, the, the conventional wisdom of the day or into the, the latest leadership manual. There's some things, but you've got to hold on because God has something in mind for you even though, even though your destiny involves a passion. 
So we have six months before Calvary, and he tells them that, yes, I'll build my church and the devil won't stop it, but there are two things that happen for the very first time in Scripture in this passage. Two things. Number one, it's the very first time that Jesus tells them that he did not come to rule the throne in Jerusalem, but to die on the cross of Calvary. Have you ever gotten in about halfway or three-quarters into the way of something God sent you to do, and you realize that that it's not going to happen the way you thought it was going to happen? And that God had something different in mind than what you had in mind? I need an experienced amen right there because that's, that's true. They were two and a half years, almost three years into the journey before Jesus said, oh, by the way, did I mention? So this is why they're always puzzled when Jesus is offered the throne or he's offered political position or opportunity and he summarily turns it down. It blows their minds. like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be the Secretary of State and you're going to be the Secretary of the Interior and you're going to rule from the throne in Jerusalem, right? Isn't that how it's going to happen? And, and Jesus doesn't bother telling them. And when he's healing people, he's often saying, don't tell Tell anybody about it. Make sure that word doesn't get around. If you're a disciple, that's kind of out of whack for you. It's like, wait a minute, I thought we're trying. They imagined a Messiah who would ride a white steed into Jerusalem, sword drawn, would run the Romans out of Dodge, and then cause the Greek influences to be banished, restore an authentic Aaronic priesthood in the temple, and set things. They wanted somebody who would set right the wrongs of the contemporary culture. They wanted an activist Jesus. They, they wanted a Jesus with a sign. This picket. They wanted a Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to reform society he came to redeem the lost that's what he came to do they didn't understand it was a mission confusion situation no no he didn't he didn't come to do that he tells them for the very first time that I didn't come to rule I came to die I work with leaders a lot and I just want to tell you there's not a single one of you in this room that's been called to lead uh, the word leadership is not even used in the New Testament. There's not a one of you that's called to lead, but all of you are called to serve. You see, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's the first time he tells them, I'm going to die. But guess what? It gets worse. It's the very first time in the Gospels that Jesus said, oh, and by the way, did I mention that so are you? It's right there. It's right there when he said, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Then he says unto them, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Yes, God has a crown planned for you. But as, as uh, the, the consummate preacher, T.D. Jake, says, there'll never be a head fitted for a crown whose hands haven't been fitted to a cross. I'd love to tell you you could get to Pentecost without having to go through Calvary. I'd love to tell you you could get to Pentecost without having to visit the, the house of Caiaphas. I'd love to, no, no, I just can't do it because though your, your destiny does involve a crown of power and release, it's going to involve a passion as well. And therein is the story of today. And therein is the story of today. We see in Matthew 16, the journey reaches a stage called, that I call critical mass. Uh, critical mass is the stage in nuclear fission where an atom has experienced such great pressure from outside itself 
that it literally begins to alter the molecular structure of the atom until it reaches a stage called critical mass. How many of you have ever felt like that in your life? You made the right decision. You signed on. You thought everything was going to be great. You thought it was all going to work out. Well, let me tell you, it is all going to work out, and everything is going to be great. But it may take a while. And in between here and there, you may experience a few moments that you do not understand. I wrote in my notes that our destiny is often hidden in the inconvenient and uncomfortable moments and locations of our lives involving people that we had not chosen in places we otherwise would not have gone. In the in the foundry where iron ore is melted down and made steel, it's called the molten moment. The molten moment where that heat has gotten so great that literally the structure of that iron begins to melt. Anybody ever had a melting, molten moment? How many today are thankful for the grace of God? I'm thankful for the grace of God. <laughs> you, know how, you know how God how God dispenses grace? He does it like a four-year-old spreads peanut butter. He just gets it all over everything. <laughs> That's how God does grace. How many are glad of that today? Amen. So every step of your journey, he's got grace for it. Uh, there's a book on the table called Pilgrimage to Pentecost. I'm speaking out of that book today. And, and see, I, I came to understand this about destiny. I mean, what is destiny? Some would say, well, it's your destination, right? I mean, that's the root uh, for destiny is destination. Some would say that. Uh, so Some would say it's where you're going. Others would say it's how you're going to get there. Uh, I believe it's both plus who you, be, who you become when you arrive and survive the trip. So everybody say with me, life is a trip. Life is a trip. Yeah, it's a journey. It begins with your acceptance of who Jesus is against the backdrop of all that the world has to offer and everything that you're afraid of. And then it begins to move toward the definition of your life. Now, Jesus had a number of these experiences, didn't he? For example, when we pick up the story of the passion, the week of his passion... He makes the triumphant entry. I love what Jesus does too because, you know, they had essentially, uh, there'd been conspiracies, there'd been threats, but he, uh, on the day that we celebrate today, the triumphant entry, rides in, uh, in, in royal pageantry. People are lining, and he goes into the temple and then read it, the scripture. It says he heals everybody there. Somebody say Everybody. How might I want to be in that service, right? Where there's not just a few in the $100 line or the $50 line or the $500 line. That get, how many want to be in a service where everybody in the house is changed? Where nobody leaves the same. Nobody leaves unaffected. You see, when the king comes home, when the king comes home, that's what happens. When we welcome the king into his palace, you know what happens? Everybody gets changed. Everybody is transformed. Everybody feels the touch of his power. No blindness, no lame, no hall. Everybody gets it. What a way to begin the week of his passion. It's a victory lap. God knew what was ahead for him. He knew the suffering of the garden. He knew the suffering of the cross. 
But thank God, he said, before we get started with that, take one victory lap for me. As the week unfolds, it's very interesting. Matthew records a lot of it. But then we focus in on the night Jesus was betrayed and the garden of decision. What happens when you do the right thing and it costs you everything? Have any of you ever been to a place in your life where you knew God had ordained and led you into that? The Garden of Gethsemane for Jesus was a place where the real battle was won. See, we celebrate Calvary. But the fact is, the real battle was won with his flesh, the flesh man Jesus, there where he went under the, where he went under the crushing hand and power and, and vengeance of a holy and right. You know, God is as holy as he's ever been. Are y'all in the room with me? He is holy and he's demanding justice and Jesus bore. And no wonder the prophet Isaiah under the unction of the Holy Spirit said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He was, we esteemed him smitten and stricken by God. By God. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's feeling the weight and he falls to his knees and says, God, if there's any other way, there are gonna be moments in your life that you've got to decide whether you're willing to do it God's way or you're gonna try to find a more creative way. Yeah, you've been called. Yeah, you've been anointed, but you don't wanna put yourself up under spiritual authority. You wanna take another route. There's gotta be another way. Surely I'm not gonna have to drink that cup. Need somebody to pray with me. I've been there. How about you? Where's my intercessors? I've been a few places. I wanted to call home and say the intercessory team must have been watching the ball game because daddy didn't go so good for daddy today. You know what I'm saying? You ever been to a moment where you have to make the decision of your life and you're looking for somebody who will help you, somebody who will believe with you, somebody who will stand with you, but instead you are alone with your decision. You're alone with your decision. That'll test you. And I'll tell you something else. You can get messed up in the garden. I work, as I say, I work with leaders all the time. And it's not uncommon for me to hear a story of something 20 years ago where in some garden of decision, because you've got, who are the characters of the garden? You've got Judas to deal with. You've got Peter. You've got, you've got I mean, you've got the, the, the guards from the, from the temple that to deal with. It'd be one thing if you could go into this little uh, fantasy garden where you could work out your stuff. But sometimes you've got to walk, work out your stuff right in the middle of people who are after you and people who don't like you, people who are upset with the way you've been handling. It'd be wonderful if you could go to the quiet chapel off to the side of the prayer room and just have a little, you know, have the, the Gregorian chant music playing and it would all be angels. And, but sometimes you've got to make a decision for Jesus in the middle of turmoil. And people you're counting on. People who you thought were with you but weren't really with you. If you're not careful, you'll get locked in the garden. It was 51 days till Pentecost. Are y'all in the room with me? 
I said it was 51 days to the most glorious occurrence in redemptive history, and that was the birthday. Pentecost is not about speaking in tongues. Pentecost is about the birth of a child. It's about the birth of a church. Oh, oh, come on, somebody. It's about, that's why, did you know redemption's not all about the cross? No, uh -uh. it's not all about the cross. You know, in evangelical Christianity for years, we kind of, okay, well, there's the crucifixion, there's the resurrection, and then we, we only talk about, we don't often talk about what happened on the day of Pentecost. We act as if it were an unrelated event, but it was not an unrelated event. It was the climax. It, it, was, the grand, it was the grand destination of the redemptive journey. It was what it was all about. For us to say that the redemption, redemption is all about the cross is like telling a pregnant woman that the purpose of the pregnancy was the labor. I don't know how many of you moms have had, I guess all you moms have had children, but I, I would venture to say if we came to your house, you would, have, you would have photo albums of the baby and maybe there'd be one or two pictures of the labor. And that's why you were saying a naughty word to your husband maybe. You didn't want a lot of, how many wanted a lot of pictures while you were in labor? You don't want the story to be about the labor. You want it to be the story about the baby that was born. You see, Calvary paid for something. The blood of Jesus bought something. It bought something. We can't separate Pentecost from redemption. And that's not a doctrinal message. I'm not talking about the list of rules you're supposed to do before you satisfy somebody else's understanding of whether you're saved. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the grand purpose of God to take off the pages of the Torah a brand new man that would be the body of Christ in this earth. And it happened on the day of Pentecost. It happened on the day of Pentecost. I've got to move on. I've got to. Garden of decision. What happens when you do the right thing and it costs you everything? Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. The palace of Caiaphas. <laughs> they, were, they were the ones that should have been celebrating. They've been waiting for the Messiah for generations. How many knows you can get messed up there too? Because everybody that's supposedly for you is not necessarily for you. And everybody that calls themselves a Christian is not going to be happy when God does something special in your life. Yeah, yeah. Instead of a word of encouragement, Caiaphas had a word of accusation. On to the courtroom of Pilate, misunderstood by the world to the cross. I don't have time to talk about those things. The resurrection, my. I would have done it different. I would have. I'm not that sanctified. Stand with me, would you? I'm not that sanctified. If they drug me through the streets naked, beat me within the inch of my life, pulled my beard out, called me all kind of horrible names and humiliated me the way they did Jesus, when I came out of the grave, I'd have made a few visits. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. To some folks that had a celestial visit coming. That's what I'd have done. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have appeared in the courtroom of Pilate one more time and say, 
Hey, yo, what's up? <laughs> Hall of hewn stones with a Sanhedrin, I'm back. But not Jesus. He had no agenda, no I'll get you back strategy. It was what they did that he came to do. Bad English, but you understand what I'm saying. So instead of appearing in one of those hallowed halls of government or the religious aristocracy, he makes his first post-resurrection appearance in an obscure garden to an ex-hooker and ordains her as the first evangelist of the new covenant. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The first evangelist of the new covenant ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to take the good news to the apostles was a woman with a past. That's what Calvary will do for you. That's why he doesn't take you straight to Pentecost without letting you walk through the garden and through that moment your dream dies at Calvary. That's why. Because when he gets through with you in the process of the passion, he knows that you're ready to carry the power of the anointing. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Brother Brassfield, I don't want to stop short of Pentecost. I don't want to stop short of that moment of destiny where I become what God has called me to become. I don't want to get locked in the garden. I don't want to get locked at Calvary. I, I don't, we all have a cross to bear, but Jesus himself teaches us that it's not forever but for a moment. He's not a suffering Savior anymore. He's a resurrected Lord. The cross in Jesus' life was but for a moment. Now he's Lord of all. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.